the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. morning it is time for another episode of the boys of tech this is episode 225 for week commencing monday the 12th of august 2013 my name is edwin herman uh we're back in the studio this week and our usual uh, panelist brett king unfortunately won't be joining us this week but i'll tell you who i do have joining me this week we have a guest His name is Ivan Sench, and he's a little bit of an internet celebrity right this minute because his project, which he's been regularly blogging on, has been picked up by the media uh, in recent days. Ivan, welcome to the show. G'day, how's it going? Oh, I'm fantastic. How, How about yourself? Yeah, all good. So at the moment, uh, you're working on a, a rather, well, it looks to be a, a big project. Can you tell us what, what this is? This is kind of unique. I, well, I think it is anyway. You, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, well, uh, certain aspects about it are unique. It's uh, effectively a scratch-built car, uh, which is done um, uh, by a few people around the world. However, the norm, the norm is to make your body uh, from probably TNT cut foam. Um, that was too expensive for me. Uh, another another way of doing it is to do it by hand. It's uh, that's too much effort for me. So I, uh, I did a bit of research into 3D printing, and it seemed like it was going to be the, the easiest, cheapest um, way for me to do it. That's the bit that surprised me, because I would have thought, and perhaps you thought the same thing too before you did your research, I don't know, but I would have thought that 3D printing would have been tenfold more expensive. Yeah, I did too in the beginning. Um, but after a bit of research, I saw that I only needed about 64 kgs um, of material. And that's and the material is only about $30 um, a kg. So it's around about just a little bit over $2,000, which, which wasn't that much really. Yeah, that's, I guess, uh, well, I guess it isn't really, is it? Um, so before we talk more about your project, outside of this project, you work in IT, you're a, a programmer or developer, right? Uh, yeah, well, I, I manage a small team of programmers, but it's small enough that I can still devil on it. Cool. What, what sort of technologies do you work with? Microsoft uh, technologies. Um, we, we, do this, we do C-sharp. C-sharp, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. .NET Framework, all that? Yeah. Okay, great, great. And uh, you, I understand you also you have a wife, you have uh, two children, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, two little ones, uh, one and three, so they're quite little. Uh, wow, they, that's that's lovely. Do they take an interest in? Does a three-year-old take an interest in the project? Or uh, yeah, yeah, huge interest. He always wants to be out in the garage helping out, but um, <laughs> usually turns into mischief, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's always the way with little ones, isn't it? They 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 want to help in inverted commas, but it, sometimes it's more of a hindrance, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I must say, though, you must have a very patient and understanding wife for you, be, for you to be able to do this project. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 um, I'm pretty lucky. Well, she, um, she went through the, the, the other project. I've done a, a, a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. Yeah, no, was, I, I saw that, actually. That you, so this is not the first scratch-built car you, you, you've tackled. 
Well, it is, and it's his first scratch, but one I want the the one I'd done previously, I'd classify it more as a kit car. It's um, it was basically a body that went on to a donor chassis. Where oh, this I one see. I did, yeah, with well, this one I'm doing the body myself. Where that I bought it, um, and I'm doing the chassis myself with this one. So it's it's a it's another step up, basically. So when you were going about at the very beginning, when you had this idea that well, you know, I could three D print the the parts, uh, that works out cheaper and presumably easier as well how did you how did you come up with like oh it's going to be an s and not a 1960s aston martin well okay well um i mean i hardly get to use the the gto anymore because it's only a two-seater and with the with the kids it's, it's almost impossible to use so it had to be at least a two plus two um <clears throat> that, that narrowed the field down a lot and it, it was always going to be an old car i haven't got a lot of interest in them in, in modern cars um, so that narrowed it down again, and um, basically, I mean, forgetting all that, an old Aston Martin's cool, regardless. Um, but <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, but it all with, with two plus two and, and an old Aston Martin. It's just, yep, that's what I'm going to be doing. Have you owned an Aston Martin before? No. Right. So, and it, I, I got to ask you this: How did you, um, how did you get the the shape? Where where did all that come from? Like, do, do, can you? Can you download data about the shape? Uh, yeah, um, there's a. I, I, I bought it uh, a model online from TurboSquid.com. Um, they've got about five plus of whatever you can think of, anything. This guy's just publishing their their 3D models on that. Some are for free, but normally the good ones are about a hundred hundred US. Okay, so you can actually you can buy these, and these come uh, life size digitally. Is that right? Yeah, um, I don't well, I guess know. you can scale them anyway, can't you? Right? Yeah, you can scale them, but I, I don't know if this is a scanned DB4 or if this is just somebody who's done it by hand. It's really hard to tell. It's, the model was really, really clean, so it leads me to believe it. That guy had done it by hand, which is amazing. How much do you get to see of it before you lay down your money, like to see whether it's a really good model? Oh, well, basically just the renders, um, <clears throat> and they usually the, the renders are pretty lifelike, so. You can't do any, you can't take any measurements from it, but you, you you sort of get a gut feel on 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 what it looks like, and you're assuming that their ability will match the quality of their their renders. Right. So they pre- provide a whole bunch of renders for you to look at, and, and I guess you you do it by eye. If it looks good, uh, then you go ahead and lay down the money and get the digital uh, blueprint, right? Yeah. I mean, the only thing that matters is is where the glass is going to go in, um, but the idea my my plan is just to get the glass soon and then before, before I start finishing off the plug. Um, so if, the, if it is a little bit wrong, I can just break a bit and re, uh, model, alter the model and reprint it, basically. Oh, I see. Yeah. I was just looking before on your blog. By the way, we'll put the uh, the URL for your blog in our show notes. But I was looking at a, uh, a close-up of, of the, one of the doors and it looks to me – because uh, I, I, look, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm very new to to 3D printing. I've I've really not been involved in 3D printing. I haven't even seen a 3D printer. Uh, but uh, I so looking at this door, it looks like it's made up of lots and lots of little parts, sort of all glued together. Is it? Is that what it is? Yeah, well, the, the the print envelope um, of the printer is only 150 millimeters um, high, wide, and and deep. Oh, I so, see. Yeah. So I, um, what I do is. <clears throat> print out about five 100 by 100 um, bits at a time with, with every print. And I do it I do it 100 instead of 150 because it's just it's um, 
any higher than that, it starts wobbling and falling over. And, and also you have to print a rail for it to stick to the bed. Um, otherwise it peels off and just get failed prints. I see. So yeah, they're, they're quite little bits. So I guess the software can carve up the shape into those bits for you. Is that how it works? No, unfortunately it's, it's a manual process with, with me cutting it up, spinning things around, adding depth to it. and Oh, is that right? What have you. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a lot of work, isn't it? It is, and I, I foolishly started it before I got my printer. Spent <laughs> about three months carving up the bonnet. Then the printer arrived, and it was useless. I'd, I'd done it wrong, so I had to do it oh, again. Oh, no. But often, and, I, I don't know about you, but often I find when you go down that path of of trying something, you know, you, you're preparing for something, you do a whole bunch of work only to find that you need to redo it. Often you, you get some lessons learned from that, don't you? And the second time it's, uh, yeah, it's better, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a huge learning curve. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in the industry of, of 3D modeling, but um, I've always had, I've always used CAD since I was at, at college. So I've, I've been exposed to it, but it's uh, I've never never anything this complicated. But learning curve on that and the three D printing that's um, it's making leaps and bounds. Well, you've certainly thrown yourself into the deep end. I mean, you you're doing your first three D printing project, a life size car. I mean, it's not it's not exactly starting easy, are you? No, um, and there's there's lots of boundaries I'm, I'm pushing here. I've never done a chassis before. Um, uh, all sorts. I mean, it's, it's just a massive project. So have you worked out yet how many individual plastic parts there will be? Is it, is it, is it plastic, by the way, the substrate? or? Yeah, yeah uh, ABS plastic. Right. Um, the, my, yeah, I've, I've tried. My best guess is about 2,500. Wow. So it's a massive jigsaw puzzle, basically. I hope you're saving these on, uh, on your computer so that, because, you know, I, I, I assume you've made some errors along the way, right, and had to redo bits. I mean, you just yeah. mentioned about the whole, you know, the carving up thing. But apart from that, have, have there also been other mistakes that you've um, encountered along the way? Yeah, well, the, the biggest learning curve is, is getting the prints to stick on the bed because when the plastic cools, it wants to contract. And if, if it's not stuck down to the bed, it, it peels off at the bottom, at their corners. Oh, okay. And that, that sort of distorts the plastic above it. And then all those little distortions when you're putting your know, hundreds of these together uh, all has a cumulative effect and, and produces about five to ten mils of, of gaps if you're not careful. Oh, okay. So what's ABS plastic like? Can you sort of heat it to soften it a bit to fill those gaps or do you just have to reprint? Oh, no, I'll just um, oh, at the end of it, I need to bog over the whole thing and sand it back anyway. Oh, okay. Um, right. several, t- several times. So all those holes will just get filled up with, oh, with bog. Okay. So is this car going to be drivable for real? Are you going to, are you going to have, obviously not everything will be plastic. <laughs> um, you you oh, talked no, no. about putting an engine in, so I presume you're, you're for real in terms of going to be able to drive this thing? Yeah, but remember the, the, what I'm printing is just a plug. So once that, once that gets finished off, I'll take a mould, fiberglass mould, and cast the fiberglass body, and that'll be oh, the car I body. See. Oh, I see. So the 3D printing you're doing is in place of a mould. It's not the actual body itself. Yeah, no, the plastic's far too weak for it to be used on your road. Okay, I was one, I was wondering about that because I was thinking, well, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to have a lot of bracing, a lot of steel bracing in there somewhere. I, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think you could get that legal in New Zealand. <laughs> right, okay, okay, I see. And I understand also, according to your blog, you've had a few setbacks with the printer. It's malfunctioned uh, two or three times? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been running day and night constantly, day after day since, since uh, 25th of December. Um, so the, it's really, um, I'm surprised how, how reliable it's been. Um, you got to understand that little, the, the hot end, which is putting out the plastic, is moving constantly while it's printing. So those, those wires that connect it to the, um, the circuit board are in constant movement, so eventually gonna, they're going to fail. There's, there's nothing you can do about that. So I've had to replace the wires a couple of times. The biggest fail, which, which happened recently, which wasn't a fail of the printer, it was just the, the hot end got clogged up because it's only got a, a 0.3 millimeter hole, oh, which I pushes see. the plastic out for a, a, a tiny little speck of dust will block it. So, so it's, it, it could have been something in the, in the, in the printer material. Uh, that blocked it up, but while I was trying to unblock it, uh, I broke it further, so I had to, uh, to send away for some more bits. Oh, no. I Didn't you also have to, uh, you needed a part, and didn't you end up printing that part you needed? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's ironic. That's, that's that's one of the great things about the 3D printers is, is to, a, to a limited degree, being able to print replacement parts. Yeah, that's great. So um, one of the, one of the, uh, the I think the X-axis br- uh, pulley bracket um, was being eaten away after constant movement. So I decided, oh, it's getting a bit dodgy. I'll print out a replacement one, plugged it in, and and yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That is really cool. I just love that. You know, oh, my printer's broken. Well, hang on. I can print it. It can still print bits. So let me print the replacement bit it needs. Love it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of research out there trying to get a complete um, self-replicating printer. Yeah, now they were also talking on a related uh, note, they were also talking about trying to do self-replicating robots as well, weren't they? Which is kind of the same thing. Similar thing. Yeah, well, well, they've they've already got machines that um, 3D print circuit boards. They've got machines that can print metal, but they I mean they're completely different machines. So, getting getting one that can do it all, well, it's it's not not beyond the, our, our technical capabilities. But it's uh, it's a few years away, I should imagine. Mm. So I understand there's been quite a bit of media interest in your project, hasn't there? Especially oh, lately. Yeah. Um, I, I gave up counting about 60 articles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I remember seeing, I think it, was, it might have been on your blog, a list of um, just, you know, in the media where it's been mentioned or where it's we've been interviewed or where the story's been done on it. There's, it's, the list goes on. And that's not yes. the whole list from what you just said now, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't, I mean, I haven't looked at it for, for um, this last week, so I don't know what new ones have popped up. Um, I mean, I had editors coming down, coming through Delhi, asking to do an article, and they're all over the world as well. Um, Must be very I've, humbling. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Although I suspect it's it's uh, mostly about the three D printing. The thing, you know, I must admit, I saw the story last week, and we almost did the story on the show, and and I didn't realise at all for quite a while that, uh, and I haven't actually mentioned this yet, by the way, which I, I should have at the start. You're in Auckland, New Zealand, right? Yeah. So, and you know, as soon as we found out you're a New Zealander, we thought, well, no, 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 we've got to get you on the show. We're not just going to talk about this. We're going to actually, we're going to get you on and uh, and sort of feel the project through talking to you. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I had no idea. I just assumed, you know, I guess as you do, you assume it's some, someone in North well, America or Europe <clears throat> or something. Well, it all started from the um, the, the printer, Solid Doodle, um, the uh, PR lady. Uh, had stumbled upon my blog. Um, I think one of the one of the forum members pointed her to it, um, <clears throat> and she said, oh, "I'll get some information if you want, and I'll and I'll run an article on our site." 
and then a bit later, she said, oh, they, they said it's too, a bit too editorial for our site, but I'll pass it on to my media contacts, you know, Gizmag and things like that. Mm-hmm. So about 15, 15 of them ran an article, and that, that produced a second wave of articles in like most of the Australian news, uh, newspapers and other newspapers around the world. And then all the local guys, all New Zealand people saw the story from the Australian article, uh, it's the Australian paper. And then they ran all their, all their articles in a third wave of media attention. Oh, okay. So, so you can kind of feel the waves geographically, you know, but of course not starting with New Zealand, which was the interesting thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's not the first time I've seen this before as well, where there's a, a story of interest in, in a particular country, typically uh, the ones we cover in, term, in interviews, it's the New Zealand stories, but they get picked up by overseas media first, and then when the New Zealand media sees how you know the interest in it, then they jump on board as the second or third wave, which is it's not the first time I've seen that. Mm. It's, it's very strange. Uh, but look, as I say, I must admit, you know, when we first read this, we looked through and we thought, this is really cool. But we had no idea you were a Kiwi until we read further. And then we decided, right, no, no, we've got to get you on the show. Uh, and hence uh, hence why you're here now. By the way, has Aston Martin, the, the uh, you know, the car company, have they said anything? Have they been in touch? No. It's... um. It's it's all right doing this sort of stuff yourself as long as you don't sell the mold or try to sell the shells. But in saying that, there are places around the world where Aston Martin hasn't done anything about it. Like there's a there's a place in England that sells a DB4 Zagato replica and a DBR1, and there's a place in the states that sell a DB9 kit car. They don't seem to have closed them down. But so they're not licensed, obviously. No, no. Uh, but you know, when you when you're doing this for yourself, you're not you know, there's no money involved. Basically, um, there's, there's it's it's um it's it's all right. So, what about the uh, the uh, what do you call that the the file you buy for for a three D printer? Is it the the blueprint or the uh, the the three oh, D model? The three D the three D model, right? Mm. So, the three D model is that you purchase, for example, is that the, the companies that sell those can they sell those, or is that also sort of just do they turn a blind eye to that as well? Oh, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, there's there's three D models of everything, so it's, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, like you look at games and stuff, um, and yes, they they can't just put out a a car in a game without getting permission. Um, but once again, this is that sort of big big business games, whereas this is just some guy's made a model and he's put it up uh, on the on the site, and he might get a, a few downloads. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I guess. People just take it upon themselves, and if, if they hear nothing, they they just keep going, right? Yeah, I mean, also it's kind of it's kind of close to making a painting or taking a or what have you, or making a picture of a of a DB4. It's at that point, it's kind of art, so it's it's hard to. Well, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, where do you draw the line? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think you probably agree that if you sold diecast models like toy cars, for example. That's a no-brainer. Sure, you need a license for that. If you're mm. painting a car, that's also a no-brainer on the other end of the spectrum. No, of course not. It's just a painting. 3D models, kind of where do they fit on the spectrum and where does the line get drawn? That's a very, very interesting question. Mm. That's obviously a question we need a an IP lawyer to answer. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, look, uh, Ivan, I've got to say, this is absolutely fascinating. Your project is, I've just been reading you through your blog, as I say. It is absolutely fascinating and I wish you all the very best. Great, thanks for that, yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us, and I, especially given I've, I understand you, you've just sold your house as well, so now you're on the, the home stretch, you've got to move, don't you? Is that right? 
Yeah, unfortunately, it, um, we've we've bought land, we've bought three acres out in um, Dairy Flat, uh, but the title doesn't come through until March, and then because of the size of the house we're building, it's another six months to build. So we're looking at about a year away before we can actually move into our house again. And you've so it's already quite a stretch. And you've already so you've sold the one you're in though, right? Yeah. So you've got to move out of that uh, and find somewhere temporary until you can move into the the one you're, you're building. Is that right? Yeah, living living within the last three. Yeah. Is that what it's going to be? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> what do they think? What do you think they think about this project? Oh, they're um they they they're all supportive and, and oh good. Yeah. Good. Good. Excellent. Well, look, um, once again, thank you very much, especially at this uh, busy time in your life, uh, for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. You're most welcome. Wish you all the best. And uh, we'll put the link to your blog in our show notes so our listeners can uh, can click on that and uh, and read through. Right then, on to other stories. And by the way, uh, Brett is now available. We've uh, just, during the story we just did, managed to get uh, hold of Brett over Skype. And uh, so, look, welcome on board, Brett. Howdy. So, look, uh, Brett, you're going to join us for, do, for the rest of the uh, show. Let's talk about the Chrome story. Uh, a security researcher has found, and this is quite a simple one too, but uh, nevertheless an important one. A researcher has found a, a security lapse in Google Chrome. And all <laughs> it involves doing is simply typing a particular uh, sort of a URL, if you like. Uh, I can tell you what it is. It's Chrome colon slash slash settings slash passwords now when you do that it apparently brings up a list of users login details and there's a little button that says show if you click show it's going to reveal the hidden passwords that it's saved and it'll display those in plain text Indeed. So if you use Google to uh, do your internet banking and you let Google remember what your username and password are, then if somebody else happens to sit down at your computer and fires up Google, they can see what your password is. Now, admittedly, it does require, as you said, Brett, someone to have physical access to your machine. Indeed. But think of the number of places where people can easily get physical access to your computer. And... I will give you the number one place for that. And that is something has gone wrong with your computer. What do you do? If you are a general everyday user, you've probably either called up a company to send a tech, you know, a computer playable over to fix your computer, or you have sent your computer to the place to be serviced. Once they've got it, they've got all your details. Now, to be fair, most computer places are, you know, are, are reputable. Honest, there's honest people working there. Uh, Indeed. But, you know, as you say, it's not a risk you want to unnecessarily expose yourself to, is it? Precisely. And if you're, gonna, you know, if you're using it at work, there are lots of people who get access to your office, even if you think you've locked your office. Security, the cleaners. Yeah, that's right. And... As you say, you other ca- people with keys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, we we know that occasionally it it is a very very small minority, but unfortunately, uh, it does happen that those people take advantage of those situations. And so, as Indeed. a as a user, uh, you really don't want to expose yourself to those risks unnecessarily. Now, Brett, I I should mention the thing is right now people might be thinking, but hang on a sec, what's the big deal if it remembers your passwords? Sure, surely it's okay for it to show them to you in case you've forgotten them. Well, the point here is, is that it doesn't require authentication. Now, when you look at a keychain like the uh, Mac OS X keychain or other uh, keychain type uh, software packages, they'll always require, if they're designed well, they'll require you to authenticate at the moment when you say, okay, I want to see that password. 
Indeed. This you is have a difference. To, you have a master password that allows you to get access to the other password details. And this is the difference here, right? Chrome, Indeed. when you hit that button, it just shows them. Yeah. It is all stored and displayed in plain text. The bit that surprises me, though, Brad, is didn't Google say that they know about this and they're not going to change it? Yep, they know about it and they're not going to change it. I, I don't get that. I really don't get that. It's not hard to, to implement. They've discussed it, it in-house and decided that they don't care. It's bizarre. It, it really is because. I know. I, it surprises it's, me from Google. <laughs> They're like, oh, but nobody's going to get physical access. Just restrict physical access to your computer. And as I have already said, there are many times when you don't have control over whoever has access to your computer. And Brett, also, it's not just physical access. If your machine's been owned by a piece of software, Precisely. someone can remote control if it. I own your piece, if I own your computer and can execute whatever commands and stuff I want on it, I can remotely That's right. get your Google yep. to show me those passwords and send me that information. Yeah. Hello, it is a serious flaw. So, so it is look, a serious it, security flaw, which basically means if you are a Chrome user, I would be going into my settings, removing every single login detail that is stored and never letting Google Chrome store a username and password. Yeah, I was just going to say that, actually. Great advice. You can continue using Chrome. It's a great browser. It's fast. Uh, it renders well because it's uh, based on standards. Yeah, uh, it just has incredibly flawed but security. Don't, yeah, that's right. Just don't use it to store your passwords. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That is a serious, serious fault. I cannot believe that they are not going to put in a, a fix for that. Put in a, a master password or something. Something to obfuscate that those, you know, those login credentials which Google stores. Yeah, it, it's, it beats it's me as well. Ridiculous. There are just so many ways that people can get access to your computer. And this means that once they've got access to your computer, they are even more easily able to get access to other things from your computer because of this insecurity. Yeah, look, as I said before, Google's reaction really does surprise me. Now, by the <laughs> way, the, the guy who found this is uh, a Kiwi, by the way, and his name oh. is Elliot Kimber. Excellent. Mm, good work, Elliot. Uh, good to see Kiwis... Uh, up there, it's good you to know. see it actually being out in the open and <laughs> being newsworthy so that people know that while Google may, Google Chrome might be a pretty damn good browser, uh, security-wise, it's pants. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Brent, one of the coolest apps out there is one called SMTH, Send Me to Heaven. Really? It's a, it's, I, I wouldn't call it a cool app. <laughs> I, I think it's cool. I'll tell you, let's tell our listeners what it is. If you haven't heard of this, it's the app, it's a designed for phones. It's an app that gets you to throw your phone as high up in the air as you can and catch it again, and it records how high you've thrown it. Indeed. So in other Love words, it. it gets you to <laughs> throw your phone as high as you possibly can and then shell out money for a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's always the risk, isn't it? They've got a disclaimer. It says, I understand and agree that playing SMTH is entirely at my own risk. I understand and agree that author of SMTH shall in no event be liable for any direct, indirect, incidental, consequential or exemplary damages or injuries. Look, the thing is, it, it's just a fun app. I mean, if you're going to – I think it's cool because – how do I put it? I mean, I, I would use it at my own risk, and I know it's at my own risk. 
I might do it. On, I wouldn't use it. I might do it on the beach. I know how freaking fragile an iPhone is. I might There's do it on no, the beach though, where no it lands way on. In heck, I am throwing that. Well, if it lands you on, you do it on the sand, beach, so that you sand. would get massive abrasion all over your screen and device as it plants into the sand. Well, I'm going to try. Possibly hitting catch a shell it. or a stone and cracking. Well, I'd catch it first, but as a backstop. Yeah, of course you would. As a backstop. Of course you would, because you're, <laughs> you've thrown it incredibly high in the air. What you don't, what you're not getting here, Edwin, is that I'm pretty sure there is a, a relationship between the more likelihood of dropping it for the higher you attempt to throw it. <laughs> I know, but it's just kind of cool to see you can have the highest score. I don't know. I'll, what, here's what I want to know. is <laughs> I, can you... I class this app as another one of the, the, the um, stupid game apps. Apps that are have a, a single thing, a single thing that you're supposed to do, and that's either like constantly click one button to see how high, how many times you can push one button, to this one, which is throw something and see how high it will go. And, and of course, with the risk of the fact that it will shatter all over the place. And also that you'd, you'd have to be pretty stupid to actually play this one. No, no, I disagree. No, I think you just have to be adventurous and uh, and, and I guess take some risks. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> kids who've been given um, expensive phones and then download and install this app and decide to play it, thereby breaking the expensive phone, they're always... They're always um Look, coordinate I, uh, okay, so, so, about these things. Okay, so make it an R18 app or something. I don't know, but it, it's <laughs> I, I like it. Uh, it's a stupid app. <laughs> that's what a lot of other people are saying. Maybe I'm just a stupid person, but I don't know. I like it. The thing is, Apple I think has it's because it, you don't have a smartphone, so you don't know what it's like <laughs> to actually have a real smartphone. You have a dumb phone, and a dumb phone is quite happy to be tossed around. You know what? You know what though? Uh, so they will survive significantly better. Yeah, that's true. Remember the Nokia thirty three tens. If I dropped my Alcatel, which I still have, it, it, it would be perfectly fine. I'm sure, its battery would come off the back, but I, I could just put that back on. Oh yeah. Uh, if I did exactly the same thing to my iPhone, my iPhone would be rendered useless. I know, but it would be significantly more expensive to replace, and then I would also have the shame of having to explain how my iPhone got the damage that it did. <laughs> okay, well, look, here's the thing, Brett. Apple has banned this app from their store. By contrast, Google has allowed the app. Uh, it's Why? incredible to get stuff onto the Android marketplace. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. But why? But still, though, why do you think Apple? I I'm surprised that Apple I think banned Apple it. Apple has taken the um, initiative there and gone. This is a dumb app that is pretty much going to mean that more people are breaking their phones, which will mean more revenue and for Apple, right? Unless it's more bad mouthing for Apple because people are going, oh, but the app was available on iTunes, so therefore it's a, it's a, a supported valid app. And so because I, I broke it, it's it's Apple's fault for supporting this app. Oh, I see. So they, yeah. If I was maybe. a litigating sort of person, I'm sure I could come up with a way to twist that around. <laughs> and yeah, Apple just doesn't. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still surprised they banned <laughs> it. I, I think I, I can understand the stances on, on other things. Uh, well, like, shake a baby app. Oh, yeah. See that? Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's some bad taste, isn't it? Well, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, but this is not bad taste. This is just you. I, I look. I, I could but agree. This is with, just bad sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I 
can agree with that. It, 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 uh, look, and maybe it is bad sense, but it's not bad taste. I mean, you know, I don't know. Look, anyway, Apple's banned it. If you want to play this app, you need an Android phone. It is on the Android marketplace. I'm not sure about uh, Windows. Does is it available for Windows? I don't think it is. Uh, it's Android only. Android only at the moment, and it was going to be uh, iOS, but of course they uh, they blocked it. All right, and by the way, while we're on the subject of uh, smartphones, do you remember that we covered a story a couple of weeks ago about the uh, third party, well, what was suspected to be a third party oh, charger that electrocuted, electrocuted a woman. By yeah, iPhone. Yeah. Yes. So what happened was a woman answered her phone when it was on charge, and it, allegedly she was using a third party, probably some dodgy charger that was you know not built to, to spec. And uh, and that's believed to have been the cause. Now here's the here's the next move on this. Apple has actually acted on this. Apple has uh, started an, an exchange program that lets people take in their third party charges and replace it for an Apple genuine part mm. at a cost of ten US dollars. Ten US dollars and get yourself a genuine Apple charger. Now here's Instead the thing. I think a, this is great. Party one. Uh, I don't know if this is a PR stunt or what, but I think this is a really, really good move. They didn't have to do well, it. It's not the, a faulty no, Apple product, but it's it looks bad. It's not faulty charger kills woman. It's woman is electrocuted by iPhone. Yeah, sure, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, publicity-wise, it's it looks bad on Apple. So Apple are, are, yeah, they didn't need to. Um, and this one, they well, could have I, just put out a big, a good, you good know, move. product warning about it instead. But they've decided that um, to go the route of mm. giving out relatively cheaply. Um, I don't know what the actual cost of buying a, a USB Apple branded iPhone charger is. Yeah, I'm not actually sure either. But yeah, it's nevertheless, it's a win, it's a win to consumers to, to being who, who an Apple are branded products. Probably more than ten dollars. Oh, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> but it's a win. This is the thing. It's a win for consumers, right? Because if you are, if you do have a a third party charger, probably because you didn't want to shell out the the full price for a genuine one. Mm. Right now, you should be worried, right? You've read these stories. You don't want to be in that same situation. Yeah, you, you're probably going to take advantage yeah, of this, right? I'm still pondering how these people don't already have one. Well, maybe they lost when I, it. Or, my iPhone, it came with. Yeah, the yeah, but maybe they lost it, or it, it fell overboard on a boat or something. I don't know. Ah, yes, that kind of thing. Now I mean, that's the only reason get, I can think of. You know, swinging, use uh, attempting to use your iPhone charger as a fishing line or something. <laughs> maybe there's an app for that, Brett. <laughs> or they bought their iPhone off of eBay or something, and the person who was selling it didn't sell the charger. To Actually, you. that yeah, that could be as well. Mm. Well, All right, I'll t- tell you, we've got one more story before we wrap up the show, <laughs> and, it, and it's just a uh, an update on Edward Snowden, because it wouldn't be uh, a full episode without an Edward Snowden story. Oh, precisely. It's like while um, Assange was big news, we couldn't go an episode without mentioning something about him. Oh, that's now right, that, yeah. You know, he's stuck in an embassy. We've got Edward, who's who's the big news. Yeah, that's right. And so we, we can't have, we can't not mention a, a Snowden story if there is something new on Snowden. That's right. So let's do it. And the story this time, it's, it's not a very big one, but it's kind of interesting. There's a social networking site with 100 million users. It's called V-Contact, very popular in uh, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. Pavel Durov is a 28-year-old Russian. He happens to be the CEO of V-Contact, and he's offered Snowden a job as a security software developer. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's all I have. Wow. <laughs> 
that'd be cool. At yeah. least he's got a job while he's in Russia. Yeah, well, that's that's the main thing, isn't it? That that's kind of <laughs> where the story's going. It's like, well, now there's an employment opportunity, you know. So, so Edward Snowden can support himself if he takes up the job. Hmm. He hasn't actually said whether he's going to take up the offer or not. <laughs> uh, but pretty much, he's key now that he's been granted temporary asylum. He's probably got a whole list of conditions that he has to stick to to keep his asylum. Yeah, that's probably to keep it th- his mouth shut. One of those is probably yeah. not being massively in the public. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. Yep. All right. Anyway, Brett, that was it. That's all I had. Was there anything you wanted to bring to the table this week? No. No. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll wrap. Significantly cool. Yeah, no, I, don't, I think that was pretty much it. So I'll tell you what, let's wrap it up there. That was episode 225. Brett, I want to thank you very, very much for co-hosting four out of the five stories we covered th- this week. Not a problem, Ed. I just had to check whether it really was four out of five or five out of six. I couldn't remember how many stories we had. Four out of five. It was four out of five. Absolutely. So, Brett, look, thanks once again. Always a pleasure, Ed. And we'll do it again next week. Till then, thank you very much for listening. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye.